What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Antler Up podcast, and we are on episode 41, and we were joined by Bert Soren of Sorenex. Uh, man, I was so excited to have Bert on, and he's the president of Sorenex, and man, he's accomplished so much already from being a four-time All-American in track and field, a husband, father, creating Sorenex Outdoors. He does a lot in, in the uh, veteran community. He just is the man. I was so happy to have him on. Uh, and we talk about fitness and hunting, hunting stories, lessons learned from other hunters and just other lessons that he's learned by himself in the field uh, and what it takes to really be mentally tough and what it means to be legendary. So Bert, thank you so much for coming on and a big thank you to all of you for all your continued support. It truly means the world to us. And those of you that bought hats, thank you so much. And uh, check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Again, thank you so much to, to all of you. And thank you to all our partners from Sever, America's Best Bowstrings, First Light, Cobra, Stoker Eyes, Tethered, Onyx, Argali, you name them. Great people, number one, and that obviously make great products. So check them all out over at antlerupoutdoors.com. Enjoy the episode. Until next time, Antler Up. All right, everybody. So we are live with a very special guest on the other line. We have Bert Soren on the line. So Bert, man, thank you for taking time out of your crazy day. I know things have been going busy for you. So <laughs> thanks for coming on, man. Hey, thanks a lot for having me, Jeremy. I really appreciate it, bud. No, no problem, dude. So, hey, I just want to jump right into things, uh, Bert, and talk about, you know, I know if people are in the, the, outdoor and uh within the fitness world they probably know who you are but you know could you give our listeners just a quick background of you know who you are and and uh kind of what your makeup is yeah sure um i appreciate it uh yeah my name is bert soren i'm co-owner and president of sorenex exercise equipment uh we've been it's a family-owned american-made business we build weightlifting equipment uh down here in columbia south carolina actually lexington south carolina I've uh, been around for 40 years, since 1980 we started, and my father and I own it, and um, we we specialize in innovative strength training tools, and so whether that's colleges, pro teams, um, folks that just kind of want the best, coolest, innovative gear, you know, we, we sell to home people all the time, and basically we're just whoever wants awesome stuff and wants more out of their training tools. And so we're really just in the human performance market. If that means that we have tools, uh, like tangible tools, that's great. If that means we have some application, uh, some ideas, we just want to see people reach their potential, whether that's a hunt, whether that's college football, um, Olympic shot put or, or whatever it may be, uh, just to reach that thin air in life and, and do the things that are above expectation i guess and it just so happens we're pretty good at making weightlifting equipment so that's what uh, we've chosen to do so that's kind of what uh the, obviously i'd like to say the day job but let's be honest <laughs> if it's a if it's a family business it's your that's your life you know it, it's inextricably linked um to everything that i do so um very blessed to be able to live in the strength world but also have uh, kind of straddled into the outdoors world really my whole life, but more so recently uh, from a public perception. Um, and that's just because social media is pretty powerful. And so you do stuff that you've always done and then people see it. Then all of a sudden it's, you know, yeah. that's kind of what it looks like. <laughs> yeah, dude. I Well, and that's the one thing too. I know right before we got on, you know, I told you a little bit about my background being a health and phys ed teacher and former, you know, was active with personal training and actually, Within our, even within our curriculum, we, we still teach a, 
uh, certification class with our seniors only where our seniors could go through they take uh, my class, which is half the year. And we target like, uh, it's like a lab where we're, I kind of teach them about personal training, like hands-on work. We go over exercises, that type of stuff. They go to another sure. colleague of mine where it's all nutrition based. And then the third colleague they have all year and she covers the ACSM book, like through yeah. like, the, from front cover to back cover. And, uh, and then we're us, like I said, m- me and my other colleague, we kind of pick a couple chapters where we go over. Um, so fitness is a big thing to me. And I would say within the last two years, uh, and it's probably even gone back further than that, but it's just been kind of, like you said, with social media, the hunting world with fitness has been a big kind of thing together and it's just you know oh yeah you know when you think about preparing for your hunt like dimitri and i we went on our first backpack western hunt and i'm dude i i I was doing all kinds of different things as far as like hiking and stairs and you know kind of thinking outside the box too and you know we could even i want to talk a little bit about that of like preparing for the your next hunt you know what i mean like how do you go about like uh not only being the like there's a difference between being strong and being physically fit for a certain activity. Totally. You know what I mean? Whether it's you totally, know, absolutely. So do you want to like, let's talk a little bit about that, Bert. where, you know, sure. uh, uh, what's the difference between like a whitetail hunter say that is going just a couple hundred yards or even just a mile back <laughs> and, you know, climbing up a tree shooting and either quartering or dragging a deer out compared to in an individual that's going out West to, you know, go on a hunt with, you know, John Dudley out in, out in the right. Montana or something. <laughs> right. So, you know, talk a little bit right. about like what maybe your experience has been so far with that and, you of know, course. go from there. Yeah. And, and the interesting part from the industry side, you, you said, you know, with the hunting and, and, and training now kind of length, I mean, we'd be, we'd be remiss to, to, you know, it's really the, the king of, who's really put that on the map, whether people were, of course, people were doing it prior, but the one who really made it popular is Cameron Hanks. I mean, he's the, you know, and not only is he an extremely, I hate to say the word marketable because it makes it sound like it's a business thing, but he's very marketable. (laughs) I mean, every, he's good at social media. He's good in a crowd. Uh, He connects with people, but also he is as, as uh, advertised, like he is actually that tough actually tougher strangely enough and you know he's an amazing shot i shot with him and it's just like dude you could throw that arrow wherever you want it and he really runs and trains that much he's actually that strong and you're just like he, he's just an anomaly in, right. in many ways and i have a, a ton of respect for him he's a, he's a he's a friend and actually he's a sore ex-athlete but um, you know, he's really, I think the one that kind of really put on the map, whether people were doing it prior. And I think that's kind of the, the, the guy that launched a thousand ships kind of, deal. Yeah. um, obviously John Dudley is another one that's just really pulled archery into the, into the mainstream world. And that's through his, uh, teaching, but also through his connectivity yeah. to those that transcend outside of the hunting world. So I would say those two, um, have been wildly influential to our world as, as hunters. And then John and, you know, John trains his butt off. He was an Olympic level athlete. Uh, he's a big, strong guy. And actually we, we created that knock fit, um, together. And then, you know, I guess my, my last would be obviously Joe Rogan. You know, I mean, in my opinion, he's the world's largest advocate for hunting right now. Yeah. He has the loudest voice 
Um, he spans all political spectrums. And so I would say those, those are, those three are like, and there's certainly some other ones, uh, Ranella and some guys like that, but those are like guys on the Mount Rushmore right now of, of hunting, in my opinion, to what's driving the industry forward and, and pumping new blood into the industry. So <clears throat> I kind of don't even think you could really do a hunting podcast without mentioning those guys. <laughs> yeah. 100%. You know? <clears throat> so that being said, um, my experience early on, because I'm from South Carolina is, a lot, a lot of volume of hunting whitetails. We had the largest, uh, the longest whitetail season in the country, so that would be in the world, um, in, in, in South Carolina. So our rifle season goes from August 15th to January 1st, straight. And so we get a lot of reps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, and so it, it, it's not always a good thing because it ends up taking up a ridiculously high amount of time. And, you know, when I was in opening day, I don't think I sat open day, but right around. I mean, you know, I hunted yesterday. It was 97 degrees when I was driving to the hunt club. And I, it was 89 when I got to my stand. It's not fun, yeah. you know, but the, the, the style of hunting changes. And then, but you're, so you're hunting with the season, you know, and there'll be some days that later this year I'll hunt. It'll be 18, 13, whatever in the morning. Um, so that that's a, a thing that changes, but the good part the good part about it is we got a ton of reps. So anyone who's hunted South Carolina for a long time, you killed a jillion deer probably. So you, you're, there's a lot of just time under the bar in right. a way. Right. Um, but the the deer are also like freaking ninja deer because they get hunted constantly. Yeah. You know they're they're just a if you kill a big deer in South Carolina, you're doing something. So the tactics and techniques for us are much different than a Western hunter or much different than a Midwestern hunter. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to those guys. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'd love to live in the Midwest. They got giant deer. They don't get hunted that often. Like, you know, it's, it's a whole different animal. So like we find ourselves, you know, the modes of transportation and things like that, getting to ingress, egress out for in and out of your stands and, and all that stuff that, more there's more planning in the the southern whitetail hunting than there is what i've experienced in the west everything is like we're going in maps we're going in cameras i mean it's almost like doing a strategic strike right and in south carolina style hunting um which is enjoyable but the physical demands are different they're significantly different I, i hunt at 252 feet elevation um you know it's long sandy roads it's swamps that sometimes are waist deep water so there's all kinds of just different things you know most mountain hunters don't have to worry about snakes alligators or wild hogs that's yeah. just an additional fun thing that you have to mosquitoes and the whole nine so it's just it's just a different animal heat stroke is a is a very real thing um and then of course getting animals out and stuff like that no way to say that that's anywhere that the physical hunt that a Western style hunt that I've started doing it the last few years. Right. Uh, I just got back from a, a mule deer hunt and from with big Chino outfitters and uh, Arizona about uh, two weeks ago. And, you know, conversely, it's still a hundred degrees because we're hunting high desert mule deer, but it's 6,000, 7,000 elevation, uh, extremely arid temperatures and stock public land muleys with a bow. Yeah. And, as those who have been out there, um, you know, you're thankfully because it is so hot, you don't have to have that much stuff in your pack. So your pack isn't very heavy, maybe 20 or 30 pounds, but you're going seven to 10 miles a day, maybe a hair more. 
um, up and down mountains, a lot of glassing. Um, and so what I found, I, I trained a lot for the hiking and high reps and things like that in the weight room. But what I forgot was the, the, the stalk is so physically taxing as well. Yeah. You know, that was something I think people don't think about because they want to like, I'm going to put so many miles and I'm going to do all this other stuff. I go, well, that's great. And it sounds kind of stupid. I said, but walk at a, tw- a tenth of a mile an hour for the next two hours and, and cover 250 yards yep. with a bow, with an arrow on it, with your pack, totally silent. And, and you almost, you, you create your, your legs and torso and everything are almost in a constant state of, of isometrics. Yep. And all you're really doing is shifting weight, but it's, it's like, all you want to do is just start walking and get the blood <laughs> flowing and move. And you're just like, I'm moving a foot. A and this is painstaking, but every muscle in my legs are, are tensed and flexed. And I'm feeling toes and, or if I get into a plank position, I'm crawling and shifting. And so that's stuff that I don't think people take into account. You know, they talk about, you know, legs feed the wolf, like you're going to put all these miles. But the hard miles are that, that last two to 400 yards. Like yeah. that's where really, because you can't breathe heavily, you can't be loud, you can't just jam on a, you know, a, a water bottle or a whatever. It's like, okay, then that last three or 400 yards, no more water, no more snacks, no more. And it's going to take hours and whatever you have on you, everything is painstaking. Everything is slow motion. And what I think happens and from what talking to the guides and I've experienced as well, when form and strength and endurance start breaking down, you start rushing because you don't want to be in those positions very long. Maybe you're not strong enough to hold a full squat position for 10 minutes as you shift into, into position to shoot. And you start making jerky movements and movements that kind of get you out of the hole per se. And then that's when you blow. And what something that I thought was awesome, my guy told me, he said, okay, you're, you're within about 200 yards of this buck I was coming in on. He goes, Every step that you take is the most important step of your life right now. Yeah. And it was just like, wow, that put just such a gravity on <laughs> every step. And so the stress level goes up, the heart rate goes up, you know, but you're thinking like every step I've paid all this money to be here. And again, it's public land. It's not a high fence. It's not a ranch, but I've, I've spent this time. I've airfare. I've taken time off work and I can screw this up in any step. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, so 200 yards, so that's four or 500 steps. So I have 500 chances in the next two hours to screw this up, and every one of them matters. And then that is much more um, exhausting and taxing than I think people care to believe. And so that's why I'll, I'll tell people, you, you don't know that until you've been there, right? You're exactly. like, no, I could pack with a high, you know, I'm just going to boom, 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 I'm going to hammer through it. And, um, but that's the fun stuff, right? I always say either you win or you learn. And, and that was one of those I learned a lot in those hunts. And, uh, and so that's where I would say some of the differences I've experienced. Well, I, I love that whole uh, story because that's actually something that I went through. Uh, Dimitri and I, we went to a different spot on the one day and it was midweek. We had a couple of days left and a friend of, where are uh, you hunting? Uh, we went to Utah. So we were in the South yeah. Slope Vernal area and we, we finally got on deer and a friend of ours was on top of this mountain and he was kind of signaling me about this deer and Dimitri was out. You were on the other side looking 
uh, in that Aspen, I think. And so I'm working my way and you, I got like a cramp. It's just because again, oh, sure. like, like you said, like I'm holding that squat position for like five minutes. I'm, I'm baby stepping in my socks on, on cactuses and any wrong sure. move, you know? And, and that was, I like, when you think about it, when I got done and I drew back on this buck and, uh, the, the wind changed directions. I felt the wind then hit my neck. He got up, he yep. bounded about 50 yards and I ranged him and he was at 62. I think, uh, I drew back. And I, I let down because I'm like, let me just double check again that he is at 62. You know, just dumb rookie mistake. Oh, on yeah. OS. I, I, I definitely ranged him again. It was 62. My dial was right. I drew back. I settled the pin. And as soon as I got settled on the pin, boom, he bounded off and like went over the ridge and down in some Aspen. I was like, okay, well, you know, it was such an amazing moment that it's exactly what I came here for. And yes. I remember just letting out like a, oh, like a big Ooh. gasp of air. And I still like, even when I walked back up on the mountain to, to meet my, our buddy, Tim, I remember being like way out of breath just because of like going yes. through that. And I just, he was like, dude, that was awesome. Like we like even hugged each other just because it was, it was our first, like fi finally one of the three of us put on like an official stock on a deer. Right. And so it was just like, cool. But man, like, like you said, it was just like the tightness of my quads and, and like uh, the sides just because I was holding different, like uh, I looked like a pretzel just because I'm hiding in the shadows right. or where I got to move. And, and, Dude, that's a perfect point because you can't really train for that where you're like, okay, let me put just, you know, a, a, a plate on each side and just hold this squat at the bottom for five minutes just because I might be in this situation, you know? You're exactly right. And it's causing me to kind of think maybe that's a thing, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've kind of played with like, okay, what if I did farmer's walks that was a 20 minute farmer walk and I only go to the end of the driveway? Right. And I super slow, you know, get a half squat and I have to hold these positions and hold these positions and, and be so dead still doing it because I can't figure out another way to, to, to have that it. type of time under tension. Yep. And then your feet are all twisted up and you're <laughs> like, you know, you're sitting on your foot and your, your knees in a rock and all this other stuff. And, and people don't understand the, the stressors that that is, or you're like in a weird half plank on one elbow, you know, yeah. and, um, and then, you know, he, he turns your way and then of course they could like stare at whatever for like 10 minutes straight <laughs> and, and you're in this weird position. Then you have to be able to like slowly come out of it and get back in the game. Well, that's right. And, um, well, so we cool, even, right? yeah, we even talk about, you know, you talk about what going out West and what boots should I wear, you know, and we talk about inserts, but do we talk about that last little bit of stock where we don't have our shoes on, you know, and you're tiptoeing on, on uneven rocks and, you know, are we building our intrinsics in our feet, you know, before we go out right. there, it's a lot of things we forget about. And, you know, I think that plays a big role in it too. Yeah. You're tiptoeing the whole time. So it's not like you can, uh, really go about it slowly and quietly if you're not having strong feet too. You know, we always talk about boots inserts, you know, um, we right. actually have something in our clinic. It's called a rock mat, which is great for people in their intrinsic. So, we, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a mat and then it looks like it has uh, half rocks on top. So that way they can get mm -hmm. the, some uh, proprioception and, and kind of uh, off balance and work on those smaller muscles in their foot, which would be a great thing for hunters to do, you know, before they go out West to build a lot of those muscles for the end of that stock. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, w I would even say, like, you know, maybe some sand pit running, 
some things like that, just to get the ankles strengthened up. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of time to get ready for my hunt just because things have gone on. So dude, I hate to even really say it. I, I, we have a leg press that's in our gym and I'm not a big leg press guy, um, but I just didn't have time to really do real, real training. So I would, every time I'd walk past it, I mean, I wouldn't even really be what I would consider training. Every time I walk past it during the day, going to wherever in the office, I'd sit down on it. I'd do 30 to 50 reps. I'd burn out to the point of reps where, you know, I was just about done. I would switch to, to going to my toes where I would just, I'd hold a, like an arch, a half arch position where I really loaded my calf and ankle. I'd do it again until I went to full burnout. And then I would go one leg, I'd hold it in a 45 degree angle and just try to hold as long as I possibly could, switch to the other leg, isometric. So the whole set would take me maybe two or three minutes. Right. And then I'd finish up with a like a 10 rep burner after that. And just the blood flow that I got, but also just the strengthening my feet, my ankles. And again, is this innovative? Is it whatever? But I had to figure out what is the fastest way I could put a stressor on to my body, accommodate and adapt to it, and that I will least get something out of it when I don't really have time to train. And then I would just superset that with chest supported row, some upper back stays strong. And that was kind of what I did beforehand. And really I was in pretty good shot in pretty good shape for it. Yeah. Like that, it awesome. kind of worked. Yeah. The, the whole, you know, going from the East coast to the West coast. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's anything to you could take as far as like managing the difference of the altitude change and all that type of stuff. And I, I, the one thing I, I keep telling people, they're like, you know, did you get sick? Did you do this? I said, I didn't get sick. I said, but I will say the first hike of the morning, just like, even if it was not even a hill, just kicked the crap oh, yeah. out of me. But then later on, I, yeah. I would be fine. Like my recovery was still was good, but just that mm-hmm. first morning, like it didn't matter each day. It, it did not matter. You know, by the end, I right. wasn't like, oh, here we go. But uh, it yeah, just, yeah. each one, man, just crushed me in the morning. Uh, and then, you know, by whatever time I was just always, I was so much better, but that was like, for me, the only thing that I noticed was that that first hike in the morning, just mm-hmm. always just seemed to be, I was slow moving. Um, right. I just like Dimitri and Tim and Tim's like my height, like just five, seven, just short legs and Dimitri's six, one. So he's, you know, the stride and stuff. And I don't, so I'm like, I'm trying to keep up and it just, I was like pushing. I'm like, all right, if I push, I'm going to like burn myself out. So I'm just going to keep going at a nice pace. And I did, but that was like the only thing that I personally like felt as a difference. But, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm. that was like the big, big thing for me. And not like you said, I was training, doing all different types of things. Dimitri and I would go on hikes and, uh, load up the pack. Like even if I was walking or my daughter went on her scooter, I threw on my pack with weight and just crazy too. Like you were saying, like walked up and down the streets and, I try to, you know, mimic as much as I can feeling weight on my back just because again, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like when we teach squat in the classroom, you know, I'm like, all right, let's just worry about just doing the basics. Don't worry about putting a bar on your back just because, you know, other than putting a backpack on, you don't really throw anything on your back right now. Let's just get the basics down and all that type of stuff. So, so yeah, that was kind of like our kind of getting, getting ready for out West. Yeah, that's good. Well, it worked out. I mean, you got, and that's, that's kind of how I didn't score out there either. I got, uh, I think, 50 yards from well, four different times from three different bucks. And one of them was an absolute stud. Uh, you might have saw that on IG. Yeah. But, um, you know, he was 40 yards at that point, And it was one of those just 
stuff was in the way, couldn't get a clear shot, and you just you kind of look and, he, and you know, right as he's bounding off, you're like, gosh, what would I do for that five seconds of my life? Back? <laughs> yeah, you know, you always feel like you like you leaned over the uh, the Hoover Dam and you, your keys fell out of your pocket. Yeah. Like, those are gone. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> those are just gone. Yeah, uh, well, there's no way I'm getting those back. Yeah, well, I think that's what the worst part out west is: is it's so open, you have to watch that buck run a longer distance out of your life. <laughs> yeah. Where in the whitetail woods, he might run 50, 60 yards, and you can't see him anymore. So then you can just dream about right. him. But as I'm watching three, four hundred yards plus, and that just yep. huge rack is bounding off, it's it makes it a lot more painful. <laughs> <laughs> it's rough i've been so close i've never scored on a muley i've been so close so many times uh last year we were hunting and, and we were hunting in, in uh idaho right on the border of wyoming and we literally caught a buck track in the snow and trailed him for miles just when we could tell the buck would run we would run right. and then when he would slow down we would slow down you know we were just gassed it's you know seven degrees snow and you were pouring sweat billowing you know everything it was awesome super cool hunt rifle hunt <laughs> and and we we see we get to this this ridge and we're walking on the ridge and we kind of slip over the left side of it we and we look and about 150 yards below us he's bedded i'm like oh yeah we're gonna hammer him and my, my buddy who was with me he's like dude the ridge we're standing on right now is the border he's like he's about 30 yards inside of wyoming right now like no way so my buddy goes all right will you sit up here and he goes i'm gonna walk down there with no gun and just kind of try to push him up over the hill right and so he saw he saw him double backed on him and we watched this monster four by four like you said for probably 800 yards (laughs) walk away into wyoming and we're like in the snow, the whole thing, and I'm just watching him like, well, there he goes. And I've got two of the dopes in my head. I'm like, okay, he's a 1.2, he's a 2.3 hole, he's a 4.1 hole. You know, as he's <laughs> yeah. walking away, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> and uh, you know, any other place on earth, he'd have been done. And, and it was just, but it's one of those things. They have this weird ability to, you know, yeah, they're different. Keep away from bullets and arrows. You know, they're it's it's. I always enjoyed it, and this hunt at BCO two weeks ago, I called my buddy Kip Falks. I was like, "Yeah, okay, I get the addiction now. Yeah, I yeah. get why this is this is so freaking fun because I've been I've I've been so close. I could taste it so many times, and so then you know it's possible. And now you're like, okay, I want to I want to close this deal, and then uh, you know ran out of time. Yeah, kind of how it I, I I could kind of probably speak for Dimitri too. I mean, that's how. I think it is for us. Yeah, I know. I, I I think that's what the frustrating part was. We had pretty low expectations going out for the first time. And I think once we got there and we were seeing deer and had opportunities and then it become a mental thing where you're like, we should be able to do this. And you know what I mean? <laughs> right. And I think that's where it's, it's addicting and, and you really just be like, man, I was so close so many times and you just want to do it over and over and then your time's ticking and it, it really puts yep. a lot of pressure uh, that you weren't expecting going out there. Yeah. It does. That's something that people don't realize too. It's like that, that pressure. That first day you're like, hey, I got the, the world's my oyster. There's going to be bucks around. We're going to do the thing. It's going to be awesome. It's going to happen. And then that you're like, oh, I got one, two more days. I got one more day. It's like <laughs> today, I have to close the deal. Yeah. And uh, that's a weird stressor that you know maybe non-hunters don't understand as much. No, man. Well, dude, I want to uh, 
what I think too will go in building off of the whole social media. And, you know, we talked about how fitness has brought in, you know, one thing I too, what I thought was really neat was seeing over the, the past, like two years, um, with Brandon, like your friend, Brandon Lilly, you know, getting into mm-hmm. this and more so. And I, I met Brandon back in 2013 at the Arnold classic. Um, significantly different person, then. significantly different person, dude. I mean, just insane transformation for what he's doing. And I love what he, <laughs> I love what he's doing with, with his other, uh, page that he has with the, uh, peace, meet, love and all that type of stuff. Yeah. I think I said it correct. Um, but man, I, I've always loved Brandon for what he, you know, his personality when he was with animal doing the whole supplement sure. type stuff. And, uh, I think it's pretty cool because I think it brings a diverse, uh, look at, at our, the hunting industry or just getting into it and like what it can mean for a family as far as like conservation or putting food on the plate and, and the meat in the freezer. And I think it's, it's, it's been a positive thing. I'm sure you have, have even seen a, an increase in probably sales as far as like, even what you're off to grid rack, just because people are now wanting to try to fill the freezer and, you know, see the importance or the whole well being uh, of, you know, getting good as an individual, as far as like their health and all that type of stuff. Yeah, I, we have, and first of all, to speak to Brandon, I mean, Brandon's been an awesome person to watch, you know, he's like, he's been his own project, you know, it's, it's interesting when he realized, you know, and wildly accomplished lifter. And when he realized he wanted to make some changes in his life that he kind of charted a course of where, or at least charted that, that star he was going for and he beat a path to it. Like, and he did it the hard way and he saved his life, but he saved his family, his marriages, you know, and, and then if you look, further by doing that he probably saved the trajectory of his son's life and so I, I have the utmost respect for Brandon that he's been able to he's one of the most consistent people when he locks in on something it's just incredible I think he's trained like something ridiculous like 440 yeah. days in a row so far something crazy like that yeah um and so he he's just an interesting guy in that way and I know he used to hunt and fish and everything growing up and then he kind of got away from it and, you know and so he's been a, a who knew that a two-time world champion powerlifter would become a, a known guy in hunting and fishing? Right, exactly. <laughs> which is, I, that's which awesome. is really cool. Yeah, this is really cool because that's the thing. It doesn't have to always be the, you know, no offense, but the Lee and Tiffany's and stuff like that. Yeah. The people, the the old guard that have been around forever, they're doing a fantastic job. But for hunting to survive, we knew we need that new blood of people, and we need it to transcend out of the people that you always thought were going to be hunters. That's where I think the beauty of the Joe Rogans and the Jocko Willinks and uh, people like that, that that you're like, Oh wow, they're into it now. So one of my big goals is with Sornex Outdoors is to bring people from my, you know, my industry, my, the strength and conditioning and, and human performance industry that maybe grew up in an urban or a suburban setting, or maybe didn't have a dad around or a mentor that was in the outdoors or whatever. They just maybe didn't have the opportunity or the guidance and get men and women to understand the value of what we love so much about conservation and about hunting and, and the outdoor and kind of that strenuous lifestyle, they're already living the strenuous life in the weight room right. in sport. So then when you kind of shift that gear and give them a, an additional uh, target for, for that training or for that mindset. And for me, you know, I've always been into it, but for a 
series of my life, I was going after my Olympic dream with a hammer throw and everything like that. So that took a, a you know, front seat. Right. And, and then, so now to say, okay, not only do I love hunting, I love, you know, going after animals and all the other stuff and eating and everything, but like, wow, I could take my expertise and training and put it into my my hobby, my love, what I enjoy doing now, which is hunting, and I could become a better hunter. I could, I could become a more efficient and effective predator if that's what I'm trying. I'm trying to do. And then the other side, I go, whoa, myself and the people in my circle of influence also are good at that, and we could offer something to the to the hunting and outdoor world that maybe wasn't there prior or yeah. wasn't there maybe as clearly. And so I see it as a win-win because, I, you know, people from the sports world get to enjoy a new thing. There gets to be new blood in the hunting world. And then once the sporting world realizes the outdoors world and the outdoor world realizes that these these athletic coaches have a value that they could teach them how to be a better if a better whatever they want to be in the outdoors, there's a dual value proposition between the two groups. And then anytime you can bring value to a group, then you, you increase the carrying capacity of the, the group as a whole. And right. so that's kind of the idea is like, Hey man, let's, let's create jobs and opportunities for people in the hunting industry that were in human performance. And then let's create more money going to the hunting world uh, for people that are, are picking it up. So that's kind of the idea really of, of Sornex Outdoors is combining my two loves and my father's two loves into something that legitimately can help out the, the population. Well, and that's where, I mean, like I said, you know, you know, my background and Dimitri is a, is a physical therapist. And I know, I mean, Dimitri, you still have your, your phys ed cert as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, for the two they of us, of it. yeah, right. Yeah. So, I mean, like, it's a big like fitness is, is, is between, you know, is, is a big thing for us. And I think too, that's where like Dimitri played division one football. Um, you know, I played baseball. Where did you play Dimitri? Uh, University of Maryland. Oh, nice. What yeah. years were you there? Uh, I was a freshman in 09. Cool. Yep. So, right on, man. so I mean like, like when you think about, the things that, I mean, like you said, you were a four-time All-American, you know, you, you did the Olympic trials and everything like that, Bert. So, you know, Dimitri played in Division One. I, I played baseball and everything. And when you think about all that, our, I think our makeup as far as like our mental makeup is different, you know, compared to yeah. some, you know, just the, sure. your everyday Joe that just wants to go out and shoot something and put food on the table and right. just, you know, um, so I think it, it, it is different. And I think that's where, how we were saying about hunting mule deer gets, is addicting now because of that chase and that competitive edge that we have. I mean, it, it was cool because I'm hunting with Dimitri out in Utah, you know, and if, if we blew a, a stock opportunity, like you saw a switch in him, which was cool just because it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, and it's just like, all right, dude, like, let's go, you know? And, um, it's so like that a was a good fight getting punched the first time. Yeah. Like, oh, that's how this yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So man, like, and that's where I think what is awesome with what you're doing with the Sornex outdoors thing. And you talk about like be legendary and is like your motto, you know, like talk about how you've been able to maybe piece that with, uh, and it doesn't even have to be hunting just because I want to think about when, you know, we're on a rutcation and we're four or five days in and the weather sucks and we're not maybe seeing the deer that we want, hope to be seeing. And we're kind of that, that 
person up in up here in, in our brain is telling us, man, oh, just, yeah. just go home. Like your daughter wants to see you, but we, sure. you know what I mean? That like when that person starts talking, like where does that, you know, be legendary kind of like say F it and come in and just take over and, and, you know, succeed. Wow. That's an interesting one. Cause I certainly fight with that currently. Um, you mean, I have three, three little kids and it's, it's a tough one because you know, I kind of had a breakdown last year. I was in Missouri. I'd hunted a lot of places in October, November, like, you know, but Missouri was kind of my, it's always my go-to. I've had some really great luck there. I've, I've done some, killed some absolute giants, so like deer of 10 lifetimes kind of thing. And then of course I'm crazy enough to think it's doable again. Right. <laughs> so my expectations are super high, you know, um, and it's one of those deals where I passed up a number of deer that I shouldn't have passed up probably. And, and then the, like the last one, the last days, the rut had kind of trickled off. I made a hasty shot, killed the deer that I shouldn't have, you know, and then part of me goes, okay, hold on. Am I getting wrapped up in inches and wrapped up in ages and all this other stuff? And, but, the, but I put pressure on myself. I put pressure on all that stuff. And I kind of had a breakdown after that. I was like, man, okay, I've done all this stuff. I've looked through this. And I've spent all this time away from my family for, you know, a deer that wasn't what I was looking for. And then it pissed me off even more because I go, wow, why, how did I quantify or qualify this deer to be worthy or not worthy of me being away from my family? If it was a 185-inch deer, then it's totally worth it. Or if it's a 120-inch nine-point, it's not worth it. Like, okay, how shallow or how mis skewed has I become and and it was just one of those things where you put too much pressure and expectation on yourself it's kind of like when they say in sports like you know don't read your own uh press right. you know and, and it, it was one of those things I started kind of going okay I gotta I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna do it here and then hopefully I'll score here and then you know you kind of start getting behind the wave right <clears throat> so when those kind of go kind of looping back to what you're saying when those kind of stuff starts creeping in your mind you have to decide really not even about being legendary. I mean, cause legendary, in my opinion, just means you're relevant when you're not in the room, right. you know? And, and really in many ways, like my relevancy was my wife and my kids realized <laughs> I wasn't in the room, you know? And, and then I, then I start looking, I go, okay, what things could I have done differently to have a better outcome where my time away would have had a higher value? Um, and, and then, but then you realize, Hey, I'm not, I'm not going home early. My flight's already booked, everything like that. It's like, okay, grind. It's time to go. Like, you're not going back to camp in the middle of the day, taking a nap. You're going to sit 12 12 hours a day, dark to dark. You're going to do the work. You're going to do all the stuff that you need to do because that's what you decided to do. Right. Um, And you dreamt of this all year and you're going to, you're going to possibly give up the potential to, to, fulfill your dream because you need a two hour nap. Like, come on, man. Like yep. this is what you're here to, you're, 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 it's like if you're playing football or anything else, that's what you're here to do. You have yep. all the stuff on, you have the eye black on, you have your helmet on. This is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I had a, a conversation with my kids literally yesterday. I took them dove hunting and, um, and trying to, trying to teach them that kind of legendary mindset, that thin air li- mindset. And, and so they, you know, we weren't seeing a whole lot of doves and guys on the other side of the field were shooting away, of course. <laughs> and the doves were just flying that way and they were just hammering them before they got to us. Right. My, my kids is the first dove hunt. They're like, daddy, when's our turn? I said, well, our turn's when the dove flies around our us side, you know, our side. 
and it was a two-hour hunt, a two-hour shoot from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., and at 4.50, we had yet to shoot a dove. And I got a lot of the, we, I want to go home. I want, I want mommy. Look at four. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. okay, get it. You know, it's hot and everything. And I said, listen, guys. I said, we're not going home. I said, part of this is not to shoot a dove. Most of it is not to shoot a dove. It's to teach you patience. It's to teach you that things aren't always going to go your way. It's going to teach, it's teaching you to, when, uh, when maybe you've decided and agreed to do a thing, you need to follow through with that thing, even though you're having a crappy time. I was like, Daddy wants to be dove hunting right now. And Daddy, I asked you if you guys wanted to go. You said yes. It's a two-hour hunt. I don't want to hear anything else until we're ready to go. Right. You can sit in a chair. You can eat an apple. You can shoot your BB gun at a sunflower. I don't care. <laughs> but what we're going to do is dove hunt because that's what guys do. We don't complain. We go and we do the thing we said we were going to do. That's what we're learning right now. Do what you said you were going to do. And at 4.58, a dove somehow dodged every pellet from about 20 guns and came straight across the field, and I dropped it right at our feet, and my kids exploded. <laughs> That's They're amazing. Like, <laughs> and, I, and then it was like the perfect learning experience. I was like, oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and, so, and we killed one dove, and, and, but they were like, they're like, it was so funny. They're like running around to all the other men. My daddy shot a dog. They're like, they have like buckets full up. I'm like, I feel like an idiot. I'm like, okay, seriously, guys, it's not my first step. Like, <laughs> but it was cool, but it was an awesome learning experience. So I was like, all right, guys, what did you learn? What was your favorite part about? What was your least favorite part of us? You know, and then that kind of was able to say, it was really bad until we had success. But if we left when we said we did, we wanted to, we would have gone home. Dove hunting would have been terrible. It was hot. It was boring. It was this. It was that. And so, you know, we went, we plucked that little dove. And then yesterday, actually, was it this morning? Gosh, I think it was this morning. A long day. Uh, we cooked one of the dove breasts, one half of the breast for breakfast. And we cut it into five pieces. And everyone in the family got a bite. And then I cooked the other one, I cut it in half, and I put one in each one of the boys' lunch so they got to have a snack of dove meat when they got to school so they got to brag a little bit. Yeah. And now this, I came home tonight, and my little boy had drawn, the four-year-old that was complaining, he had drawn all these pictures, and the dove was the biggest one in the middle. He's like, Daddy, when do we get to go dove hunting again? It's like, okay, I hooked him, right? Yep. And so that's just how that, that whole thing, it all ties in to do what you say you're going to do, Put a plan together and realize it's going to suck. Like, I, I don't think I've ever like sat in a stand and the first five minutes, a hundred fifty inch buck walked out. I was like, boom, that was great. Like, <laughs> that that's what I learned uh, hunting with Cam with Cam last year in um in Alberta with the rivets. You know, we're all hunting and kind of how do you do it? You wake up late in the morning, you have your breakfast, you hang out, you shoot your bow a little bit, you talk some hunting. You start getting ready around two or three o'clock in the afternoon. You go out, you bait some bears, you get your stand about five, you sit till 11 p.m. And that's just the cycle of it. You're there for a week and it's, it's a really lackadaisical hunt. It's easy. It's, it's great. Bears are all over. It's fantastic. We ate breakfast that morning and we all kind of fooled around. We we're shooting bows, doing our thing. And we get a call like, yeah, Cam has a bear down. This is, and I looked at my watch. I was like, it was noon. I was like, I didn't even know he left. Yeah. And we went out there and he had a seven foot four black bear that he smoked at, at noon. And it's like, why were you even hunting? You don't, and he was like, I came all the way to Alberta to hunt. I only have so many days. I'm not sitting in camp. I'm here to hunt. I have to, I have to get it done. 
And he goes, I figured we weren't seeing him tonight. The Bears are going to come at some point, so I'm going to sit in the middle of the day. And I go, you didn't ask anyone. You didn't make it a big deal. It was just Cam doing Cam stuff. And he was like, talk to the guy. He's like, go put me in the woods. I'm, I'm here to hunt. And he killed the biggest bear that week. You know, and I look, I go, he's as advertised. Yeah. He's going to do the hard stuff and going to do what, you know, he's going to get after. He's like, I, I could sit around and talk to people and shoot my bow in the yard anytime. I came all the way to Alberta on hunting, you yeah. know, and that was a great lesson. Like, you're already there. You know, you've done all the work. Like, don't, don't lay the ball down at the one yard line because you got tired of carrying it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, that's what I yeah. even think, you know, a lot of athletes and, and a lot of sports uh, people are involved in hunting is because of the mental game is very similar sure. from sports to hunting. I mean, we talk about being fit and, and ready for the hunt, but do we talk about the mental game that it is, you know, the, the misses, you know, the, the blown stocks or, or a big buck blowing us, you know, right before we're ready oh. to draw or, or watching us draw in the up and down roller coaster of what you have to go through. And you, you really got to be mentally tough to be a, a good hunter and, and, and to really push yourself to be a better hunter as well. Yeah. 100%. I mean, it, it that watching that buck run away two weeks ago reminded me so many times of big meets or championship meets or times that I knew that I could have done a little bit better. And there's that sinking feeling that you go, all right, the buzzer, the buzzer, the buzzer ended the game. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't go anymore on this one. This, that was the play and I didn't do my job. And I think, a big thing that people have to be honest about is their successes as well as their failures. And I think John Dudley might've posted it. I think he did, but I've been doing it for, for years as well. Like I keep all my, all my tags that I, that I, you know, I'm in the cave right now. I got deer heads and hogs and bears and crap all of that all over the wall. Like just cause I like, cause they're always memories of mm-hmm. something, you know, like, Oh man, I remember that one. But I also keep all my tags, and I'm trying to figure out like a shadow box or something, or where I want to basically put my tags up in here too, because this is also my gym. Right, it's where I train, and because I want to remind myself, like it's not always 150 inch deer. Sometimes it's a expensive tag in a seven day hunt, and you walk home with blisters, and that's it. And and you just go, and I want to be able to look and go, wow, that's thousands of dollars worth of tags sitting up on that wall that never got punched. And I had something to do with that. I mean, maybe the deer did the perfect thing, but but I could have been more productive. More productive. I could have been more prepared. And then you know, it's like, well, no one would have. It's like, yeah, someone would have pulled it off. Yeah. And it, and if someone would have pulled it off, and that guy wasn't me, then I know I could improve. And that's the stuff that that, in my opinion, is the most important thing in your trophy room is to make sure you're keeping track of your losses too. Right. And because those are what motivate you, right? Like, you know, a giant deer or giant elk or whatever, it almost, and it'll motivate you, but it almost gives you a false sense of, of accomplishment um, because you kind of feel like you've already been in the winner's circle. Right. And I think that's, that's a way to get dull. Yeah. And, and I, that kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you too, Bert, was like, you know, what, what drives you to become like your best version of Bert? You know what I mean? That's something, and that's where like, for me, it's something that I've struggled with, I would say the last couple weeks. And it's like one of those things where 
I want to be the best dad. I want to be the best friend. I want to be the best teacher and I want to be the best hunter and content creator that I could possibly be. You know, what drives me, you know, like what's my drive to become better and how do I do that? And it's kind of, it's, it's a difficult task and it's a, it's a mind wrestling match that you have with yourself, I think. And, um, you know, and, and I think for me personally, I'm blessed to have support all around with all those things I said, as far as friends, as far as family, um, you know, like, but I want to know, like for, for that elite level, for where you are at, you know, what, you know, what drives you. And like, you even talked about too, like those empty tags, you know, like that's something that is going to push you to become a better hunter. You know, that's something too, for me, like when I've missed, uh, I would say four, like five years ago and then four years ago, like two years in a row, I missed two beautiful, nice, decent, big bucks here in Pennsylvania. And man, that chewed me up like big time, you know, oh. I, like I, I still see it. And it was one of those things where it was like, okay, instead of feeling sorry about yourself, like try this practice scenario, do, do this, do that. Yeah. And it changed. And then that's when I started having success. And, um, so it's that little things of, you know, yes, I failed. So like, how do you translate, fa- you know, your fails into what else drives you to become like your best version of Bert? Right. Well, I think you, 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 you realize that failure isn't fatal. Right. And that, that's the first thing, because some people, they, they tie, they tie into that fate, the failure so much. And then they start believing that they are failures. I'm probably going to miss this shot. I'm probably going to, Man, I, there's no way I could sneak up on that buck or whatever it may be. <clears throat> so I think I've always, or at least in my adult life, I've realized that failure isn't actually, it's not fatal, but I, I don't only view it as failure. I, I view it as delayed success. And so I just, I just view kind of my skill set. And, and again, it's, it's almost a delusion that my wife laughs. She's like, you're one of your superpowers is you're delusional because you think you could do it. And I'm like, well, I could be wrong. I'd rather be wrong. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather think I can and, and be surprised a lot more versus think I can't. So, um, yeah, I just, I just believe in delayed success. And so that's just like, okay, I haven't done it yet. And if there's people that have done things that I, I, I think would be amazing. I first, my first thing is I say in my head, they've done it, which means it's possible. And then I go, we're both humans. We're both relatively intelligent. We're both relatively physically fit. And so I start going down the line and not to compare myself against the person like, am I better than them? It's just to remind myself I'm in the same species and same room. And then I go, okay, they're not magic. They've performed and done this thing. And now I've proven in my mind that it's doable. Now it's only up to me to figure out how to do it. Right. And that's the experiment. That's the, that's the adventure. That's the voyage. And then, all right, so we've, we've determined it's doable. We've determined it's worth doing. And now let's just figure out a plan. And then let's run our, we'll run our hypothesis. And I always call it, talk about a lot of stuff in my life, whether it's business, whether it's lifting or throwing or hunting or whatever. And, and I always tell my wife, I got to run the experiment and she knows what I mean. Like, and I, you know, I'll be driving, I'll look outside and she's like, you're thinking about hunting right now, aren't you? I'm like, yeah, that, you know, the barometers drop in or like, yeah, I see that moon coming up right now. It's supposed to drop 20 degrees today. It's, you know, whatever. And, I, and she goes, you just got to run the experiment, don't you? And it's just, I have a prediction. I have a hypothesis. 
based upon data that I've already taken in, but I won't know the conclusion until I run the experiment. And that's this little driver that just always makes me want to go and look that curious what's over the, what's over the next hill. And that's in business. That's, that was, that's how half the stuff we've designed gets done. I wonder what will happen if this, if we try this, right. what will that feel like? What will that stress? What will that, you know, mediate? And I think if, I think most successful people have to be disciplined, but they also have to be very curious. And for me, it's always, will it work? And I got to find out. And so if you're always just constantly running experiments, you're not really so worried about what anyone thinks about you or whatever. You just know what the end state you'd like to see. And you're just going to run the experiments until you figure it out. And for me, that's always been a curiosity has fueled that side of me. And then, so then every day is very exciting and very enjoyable because you're just running experiments on the stuff that you love. <laughs> well, that's what I, I, I love Cam Haynes' quote when he, he said, no one cares work harder, you know, cause that goes with every <laughs> aspect of life. Cause you know, growing up, yeah. Always had an excuse, you know, whether it was school or, or sports or hunting, you know, and you always came up with an excuse of, of why you did this or why you did that. Why did I miss a deer? Or why did I miss a tackle or, or, you know, and, and that's was our nature. But it's like no one cares about your excuse. They, they just care. They no. see what you what your failure was. And, and when I heard that quote, I mean, you can apply that to every aspect of life of, you know, no one cares, you know, if you want to be more successful, no then you're going to have to work harder and bust your butt to get there, you know, and no That's one, it. no one cares what you're doing. They just see what your end result is. And if you want that to be better then you need to work at it. Yeah. That's a hundred percent. And it's kind of funny when I was throwing probably 2002, 2003, I uh, went to a meet and a friend of mine says, Hey bird, how's training going? Cause that was back like before social media. So you didn't really know what anyone was doing. Right. You saw each other in nationals. Right. And that was like a once a year deal. So I saw, I was like, Hey John, what's happening? He's like, Oh man, you look good. I was like, yeah, you too. Like you feeling good. Yeah. Feeling great. You know? And he asked me, I was like, well, I'm kind of nursing this thing on the hamstring, but it's still throwing far and you know, whatever. And he stopped me. He goes, man, I wish you'd stop doing that. I said, what do you mean? And he goes, every time I talk to you, you tell me you're doing good, but there's always a thing or a reason, but you're always, you're still doing good. He goes, he goes I honestly think you're giving yourself an out. Mm -hmm. You're giving yourself a reason that if you do fail, it's somewhat predicted and it's okay because you've already checked the box of pre predetermining factors that would give, make it okay to fail. Right. He's like, stop talking like that. He goes, he was like, you're my competitor, but you're my friend too. He goes, stop talking like that. He goes, just go out and win. Go out and be ready to win. Don't don't say anything other than I'm ready. Leave it at that. He's like, I don't care if your hamstring hurts. You shouldn't care if your hamstring hurts. You, nothing you could do about it. Tomorrow's nationals. Stop thinking about it. You know, yeah. and you're just like, wow, that was a big lesson going back to no one cares. Work harder. Like, no one cares. You're the Olympic trials now. I don't give a crap if you forgot your shoes or you didn't, or you were up all night because you were puking. It doesn't matter. Right. Tomorrow's the Olympic trials. Get your head in the game. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. And that was something that, you know, I, I experienced, I realized, wow, I was doing that unknowingly. And, and then I have to, I have to watch it at times. Like, because I'm always doing a self-assessment. Well, this, 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 but I need to do this for training. It's like, Hey, but when it's game time, 
bro, it don't matter. Right. Uh, you don't have your favorite hunting boots. Your laces broke. You have one arrow left. Are you still in the game or not? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And choose now. Are you still in the game? If you're not, say you're not, and then go back to the truck. Right. Otherwise, the hunt's on, man. Yeah. Like, it's time to go. That's awesome. No, that's perfect. And I think that's a good way to kind of wrap things up. And, you know, I think if, if, Anytime when I hope anybody that's when they listen to this and that, that, that voice is on their shoulder in their brain trying to tell them <laughs> about that. I hope, you know, something could kind of tell them to, to suck it up and, uh, you know, get after it just because I think that's, it got me motivated even just sitting here. I'm ready to go just go hit some iron a little bit. <laughs> in the right yeah. Well, um, there, there's, there's plenty of time to rest and relax when you're telling a story 10 years from now. Yeah. And just, just that's what I told a, an athlete that was, playing soccer the other day and you know she's like did when you were an athlete did you ever did you ever uh you know have to be reminded to work hard i said no i strangely enough i learned i I, my freshman year i realized what i wanted to do was to be be a great thrower and so i had already decided my last throw of my college career wherever that was i predicted it'd probably be the ncaa championships but i said my last throw of my college career regardless of my physical condition my mental condition, my placement in the competition, there will be zero strategy besides go 100%. That will be my end state to cap my college career, whatever it is. I said, yeah. if I, my legs fall off, that's what's going to occur. I said, so now I know where I am currently. I know what my last throw of my career is going to look like. All I have to do is beat a, a, a path to that. And everything is going to end up there. Because I realized that even at 18 years old, that I would refuse to sit back at 40 years old and realize I left something on the plate because I wasn't tough enough at 22 to get my head out of my butt and yeah. do it. Yeah. And, and it's, that's kind of how I see these hunts. It's like, this is the opportunity right now is where I want to be. I've said the place I'm standing right now is where I want to be. Yep. How can I not stay focused if this is what I've dreamt of? And it might suck today. It might be, but whatever. Keep going right now because you'll have time to to dissect the story and decide what you wanted to do better for the rest of your life sitting in a chair. But right now, you're in the game. Yep. And so – that's perfect. I always tell, you know, coach in varsity baseball, I always tell my players and I said, you know, there's going to be a day where you, you hang up your cleats for the last time. You don't know. Unfortunately, you don't know really when that is going to be, you know, for some of you, I would say it's going to be when, when we're knocked out of the playoffs and you don't go yep. play at college or, you know, you do go to college, but things don't pan out and whatever. And as I said, it, you got to make the most out of it. You got to make these memories because the minute that you hang them up and that day you realize it, like, whoa, my cleats are up there. You do not want to look back and think about what, you know what I mean? And I, I said, honestly, I said, there's, I said, you know, I had a good successful baseball career playing in, in college sure. and all that stuff. I said, but I mean, man, there's days where it, I said, it beats me up, you know? And, and yeah. I said, I, and I was always that one where I played with guys that had an 11, uh, 11 year pro career. And, you know, I remember being always, he and I were good friends and just always working sure. out together, doing stuff. And I said, mm-hmm. you know, but there's times where, you know, when he graduated and we had a new coach, you know, this is, and it's just, it just, different things and it just eats you up a little bit. And I always try to relay that message, like be here, be in the now and, and go as hard as you can because you don't want to look back on it. you know, I said that it just sucks. 
Yeah, it's the best ride in the park, and you don't want to. You better be present with it, and yeah. so that that's. I guess that's kind of been one of those things as well. I I, I am terrified of of potential regret. Yeah. Of what if I don't take this opportunity in business or life or whatever it is. I, I couldn't think of anything more demoralizing than being an old man when I can't do anything anymore and thinking back all the things I should have given it more effort. Yeah. I should have put more attention to detail. I should have been more prepared. Um, I, I certainly have those feelings because I've experienced that, but to think that I could knowingly stay away from that is, is, an, is exciting. And to think that I could just, through my own lack of motivation or effort slide into that is something that, that, that just doesn't, that, that, that can't happen. Right. Right. Life's too short. Yeah, man. Dude, Bert, thank you, man. Well, I just, before you get off, (laughs) I, you know, I know, like you said, you probably going back to Missouri. What, what does the 2020 hunting season have in store for you? I know what, with Ah. everything you've got going on, you're busy. So what, what's, (laughs) what's your whitetail schedule look like? Yeah, so uh, I mean, whitetails are in here. It's what September fifteenth. Yeah. Actually, we could start shooting does today. So um, I might go and probably try to arrow a couple does uh, in the next few weeks, kind of before the rut starts. Um, you know, I have some stands that are a little bit more doe heavy. Yep. Uh, do that, and then um, and then uh, the October, mid October through late October, the rut starts cranking pretty well here in South Carolina. And so I'm going to try to spend as much time as I possibly can outside at that point, even if it's just little time here and there. Um, I have Missouri early November, and so going to catch the rut there for archery and uh, rifle. And uh, I have, uh, I think I'm hitting South Georgia with Jamie Shearer and Baker Levitt and those guys, uh, a couple of the Everly Stock guys. We're going to do a program where we're, uh, that Jamie came up with was kind of uh, take five hunters and then kind of mentor five non-hunters and bring them in for the weekend and teach them the ropes and kind of, you know, again, try to awesome. pull more people into the hunting world. And a big kudos to Jamie for doing that on his uh, farm. And then uh, hopefully I'll get to go back down there during the rut and maybe chase something around. Uh, I'll probably do a little Oklahoma and uh, – and then just whatever hunts of opportunity. Sometimes, you know, you get a call from somebody's like, dude, come over here and whatever. And, and I try to kind of leave a little bit of latitude where I could jump and run if I can. Or, or uh, it's always nice to have business trips in the Midwest, like yeah. in November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hey, maybe we should meet on a Friday. Yeah, and go I out to Iowa. Yeah, go to <laughs> I- Iowa <laughs> University. Hey, Hawkeyes, you guys need a new uh, weight room in there. So. Yeah, how are y'all looking about November 8th? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome man well dude I, I i love what you're doing on your personal page and what you're doing with Sornex outdoors and uh you know so you know where could people catch you out and 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 see what you're what you have going on yeah i appreciate it yeah you can catch me at bert soren on ig is b-e-r-t-s-o-r-i-n um uh Sorinex, s-o-r-i-n s-o-r-i-n-e-x that's our regular page on ig as well as Sornex outdoors um, check us out sorenex.com if you need some gear and uh, we're kind of just around doing other stuff or be legendary podcast has some interesting people on there and uh, we'll be putting this uh, podcast as well I'll have it on uh, bertsoren.com which is kind of like my media page 
kind of thing just kind of consolidates all this type of thing. Awesome, man. Well, yeah, anybody that's a gym rat and, you know, want to geek out over beautiful, amazing equipment, I mean, Sornex's <laughs> IG page is, is one to definitely <laughs> to do it on. <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate it. No guys. problem, man. Well, dude, Bert, thank you again for taking the time out. Everybody, make sure you go check out Bert and what he has going on over at Sornex. And uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, Antler up. All right, and that's a wrap for another episode of the Antler Up Podcast. Man, I hope you enjoyed that one. I know I'll be listening to that one this week as things aren't going my way, uh, specifically in the woods right now. I'm getting on deer. It's been fun. It's been a blast. I'm getting them on camera. Uh, but, man, I'm just missing out. I'm just uh, a little too far right now. And I'm looking forward to the challenge, man. And it's hopefully those of you that punch tags already, congratulations. Those still grinding. Keep your head up. Keep pushing. Keep plugging, man. It, good things will happen. And uh, thank you for the support. Make sure you check us out on our social media pages, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and obviously the podcast. Go leave a five-star review. Thank you again. Antler up.